Relationships with fathers vary. As with anything in life, there is a vast array spanning the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some relationships with fathers are everything everyone says that they should be. A relationship filled with love, affirmation, and affection. Others, well, others aren't so great at all. Full of guilt, broken promises, and even sadly in some cases, violence. Forever still, they were never afforded the opportunity to get to know their father. And this may have caused some conflicting feelings and opinions around what a father is or what a father should be in general. But the majority of people's experiences are actually somewhere in the in-between. A father who tries their best and just happens to get it wrong from time to time. Perhaps inflicting hurt without meaning to. And sometimes leading to distance, growing between them and their children. But hopefully, before it's too late, reconciliation can take place. Relationships can be restored and forgiveness can be extended. I know even in this room that there is a vast array of experiences of what a father is. And wherever you find or found yourself in that equation this morning, there's good news for each one of us. Your own experiences of an earthly father do not define you and they do not define your worth. Regardless of whether you felt the love of an earthly father or not, whether you have people who you call dad or even a deep, currently unfulfilled desire that one day somebody would call you dad, it is my prayer that as we turn to the scriptures this morning, that we would come to recognise that whatever our experience of an earthly father might be, that the love that is extended by our Heavenly Father is indiscriminately for us, each and every one, that it cannot be earned, but it, it is freely given. And it works a work of perfecting us into the sons and daughters which we are called to be. We as, we as humans respond to love, don't we? We respond to love. It's, it's a physiological and a psychological reality. Studies have shown that when we are shown love, something happens within our very brain chemistry. And that, that whatever that is that happens, that causes us to either push back or to press in. It causes us to push back or to press in. And regardless of our reaction, when love is extending, extended, something within us changes. The verses which Pastor Joanne read to us from 1 John 4, 7 to 19, they tell us in no uncertain terms that love comes from God. And not only that love comes from God, but that God himself is the very essence of love, that he is the source of love. 
that love is the sum total of his being. That everything God is and everything that God does is an expression of his love. And it is very, very important for us this morning that as we continue through our time around the word and indeed whenever we leave later on because we don't want to walk away and forget what the word says but it's very important that we remember this reality that God is love yes he is a loving God but more than that he is the source of love and everything he does and everything that he is is an expression of that love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And as God chooses to reveal himself as father. His far-reaching, abounding love, which is lavished upon us, is made clear to the world in his son, Jesus Christ, who was sent into the world to reveal to us the love that our heavenly father has for us. This love is a redeeming love. And when accepted as the gift that it is, cannot do anything but change and transform us. This love that caused the spotless, blameless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Son, sent of the Father to lay down his life and die the death that I should have died, that we should have died. Yet, as we sung, his death brought us life. And his resurrection brought power to all who would receive him as their Lord and Saviour in this life. Our Father in the life of Jesus Christ the Son embodied his love. He literally took on flesh and dwelt among us that we might experience his love and live through him. That we might live life in all of its glorious fullness, both in this life and the life that is yet to come. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I was thinking how I could illustrate that. Because that's a lot of what we call doctrine. That's a lot of theology. How do we illustrate that? How do we take that and, and package it up so that we can understand what it means? And I'm really glad that Annie's too young to realise that I am telling her church family this story from the front this morning. But this week, Chloe, I say Chloe and I, but let's be honest, it's Chloe. Chloe has undertaken the task of potty training Annie and Sophia. And it's been a wild ride, hasn't it, honey? It's been a wild ride. 
to say the least. Potty training twin girls while also having to love and care for Kate, our eight-month-year-old, has been wild. Personally, I've never been so glad to have to go to work in my whole life. Um, and I publicly love on Chloe for all that she's done and continues to do this week. But on Friday night, it was my turn to look after the kids unattended. The first time since they had started to be potty trained as Chloe was down at the church for the end of year connections party. Uh, and potty training had been going so, so well that day. The girls were getting it. The ratio was definitely in favour of the potty as opposed to the carpet. It was going really, really well. Progress was being made. So as Chloe left, I realised that I hadn't had the opportunity to go and get a drink. So I went into the kitchen and poured myself a glass of juice and I left the room for 10 seconds. 10 seconds. And as I came back, I find Annie standing on the sofa with that look on her face. Mm. Right? Long story short, I lift the wipe, I run to the sofa, and lo and behold, I make it in time. I make it in time, catching in that wipe a piece of business that a fisherman would have been proud of. It was that big! Right? Good job you all know me and love me other. <laughs> after which, after I caught it and put it in the potty, after which Annie cheered incessantly. Yay, Daddy, yay! <laughs> Clapping her hands and demanding the treat that follows going to the potty. It's been a while and she's clapping now. Yay! <laughs> why, why do I tell you that story other than the fact it's hilarious? Right? Why, why do I tell you that story? Well, in a roundabout way, the victory was not in the fact that Annie produced a bodily movement. The victory was in the fact that it didn't go all over the sofa. Right? That's where the victory was. And until I insisted quite fervently, quite fervently, that no poo-poos need to be done in the potty, Annie was blissfully unaware that she had done anything wrong. She was blissfully unaware that she had done anything wrong. And so the victory is not found in the fact that we come to a place where we love God, but rather the victory is found in the reality that we are already an object of God's affection and we are already an object of God's love through Christ Jesus. That through his redeeming blood which was shed, a way has been made that we might experience perfect love. A way of which we were too we too were blissfully unaware because of our sin. The depth of which is to love God. An offer which is extended through open arms and through which we discover that we, so, we are so strongly loved that nothing else can truly compare. A love that is extended to us through the seeking or provenient grace through which God gently seeks and woos us by his spirit towards saving grace through which has begun the work of transformation and the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord, knowing this joy of sins forgiven. And then the saving grace brings us to his sanctifying grace, through which 
we are loved and molded and changed into the likeness of Christ, sustained by his sustaining grace and made perfect through his sufficient grace as his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And dear friends, John writes, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Loving others is easier said than done, isn't it? We've talked a lot about that recently, so I'm not going to go over that again. But some people are easier to love than others. But loving others, even our enemies, is made all the easier when we see the work of God in our own lives. To have been loved much by our Heavenly Father means that we are to love as much as we possibly can. This love for God and others comes only from the indwelling presence of God in our lives. For the scriptures reveal to us that God dwells by his spirit in those who love him. And his love is perfected in them. In other words, if you hear preachers talk about holiness or Christian holiness, this is what they mean. That the fruit of the love relationship with God, that we do not perfect his love in us, but rather he perfects us. I love what T. Martin and very old Nazarene had to say, said when we open our hearts to the love of God, we are at one with the purpose for which we were created. God is seen in the outflow of his love from hearts that are filled with it. It is an unselfish and giving love that does not, does not love for return, but finds joy in giving. And we might know the assurance of his love. But how can we know the assurance of his love? It's all well and good in practice, isn't it? Uh, in theory, rather. But how, what does it look like in practice? How can we know and how can we have the assurance of his love? Perhaps life to this point has dictated to you that you feel like you're undeserving of love. That there's no way that even if there is a God who is full of love and compassion, who seeks to do the work of perfect love in the hearts of his children, that even if there is a God like that, that there's no way he could possibly love me. If he really knew what I was really like, how, how could he love someone like me? I've no doubt he might love the Johnsons or the Browns, but there's, there's no way he could possibly love me. You might be sitting there thinking, who could possibly think that? Who could possibly think that? But hey, it would surprise you. And I don't know about you, but I'm willing to admit that I've been there myself. I have been there myself. And folks, just as the Father who is love sent the Son to reconcile humankind back to himself, so too does he leave the gift of the Holy Spirit 
the third person of the triune God as the lasting proof and presence of their acceptance, of our acceptance. It is his presence which enables us as sons and daughters to know that we dwell in God and God dwells in us. Speaking of this reality, John Wesley shared of his own experience of this assurance on the 24th of May, 1738, at Aldersgate, when hearing the word preached. He said, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You see, when we as his people are faithful to the promptings, you ever, you ever felt like what he was explaining there? It's almost, he, he explained it as a heart strangely warmed. And, you know, it's almost like you can't, you can't describe it adequately unless you've experienced it yourself. But when we as God's people are faithful to these promptings of his spirit, we become more and more aware of the love that the Father has for us. And that the finished work of Christ, we become more aware of it as well. When the Holy Spirit makes his presence known to us, bringing confirmation, assurance of salvation, to all who believe in and on Jesus Christ. See, since the day of Pentecost, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday a few Sundays ago, but since the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God fell upon the church, all who would receive his Holy Spirit, we have shared the same joy and are being made more and more like Christ. That is, his love is being perfected in us. Throughout the generations, yesterday, today, and forever, we're told that Jesus Christ is the same. And therefore, this truth remains. That we know and rely on the love that God has for us. <coughs> And when we know and rely that on that love, when we experience it and we are assured of it, that should lead us to the last point. It should lead us to the boldness that his love brings. Our loving Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. He who is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, praying for you and praying for me interceding for his own he promised his disciples and therefore you and me he promised the gift of the holy spirit who was poured upon the church on the day of pentecost and is dwelling within each one of us who professes jesus christ as lord and it is his spirit that gives us assurance that we dwell in God and God dwells in us. I want us to take a step back. This isn't in my notes, but I think this is really, really important to be reminded of. And I had one individual who reminded me of it almost every week. 
and I remember thinking, well, for goodness sake, I get it. But I look back now and I see how formative that was. Do you know that according to the scriptures, which are true, for they are the living word of the living God for us, his living people, that according to the scriptures, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and at work within you. And it is this same power and presence, this Holy Spirit, which brings the assurance of salvation. It brings the assurance of sins forgiven. It is the same Spirit that equips the people of God to do the work of God and to go and to do so boldly in His name, well beyond our own capabilities, well beyond our own confidence levels, because it is the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is alive and at work within each one of us. If they were selling it on Amazon, everybody would buy it. Yet, we so rarely tap into it. And maybe, like me, you need to be reminded that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and at work within you. That he brings assurance, that he equips and that he moves in mighty power when we give him his rightful place in our lives. And he perfects us. His love is made complete in us. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus, John writes. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I don't know what your thoughts are about on the day, about the day of judgment. Personally, I'm not a huge fan. I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to think about it too much, but actually it's a biblical reality. I think if we're honest, it's not something that we do like to think about and less talk about. However, one thing which cannot be avoided is that there is coming a day when we will stand before God and we will have to give account for what we have done for him whilst we are here on the earth. That's why C.T. Studd famously said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And in this letter, as we draw to a close, John reminds us that because of the love of the Heavenly Father, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, causing us to work and to live with a holy boldness for him, that we need not fear that day of judgment. Why? Because his perfect love casts out fear. And his perfect love perfected in us causes us to become more like Christ. We love because we are loved. We love because he first loved us. And like Jesus, we are called to reach out in love, desiring that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But how will they know if they do not hear? How will they know if they are not told? 
See, the perfect love of the Father calls us to and empowers us for holy boldness. That we may love the unlovely. That we may reach out to the unworthy. That the world might too know the love of the Father and experience his perfect love at work in their lives as well as in our lives. For any Star Trek fans, Kate, we hear you. It's great, right? But for any Star Trek fans in the room this morning, we are called to boldly go where none have gone before. We are called to boldly go. So wherever this Father's Day finds you, might you know that there is a perfect Father who is love. And he loves you with an everlasting love. That he sent his only beloved son that he might have relationship with you. And when you accept his free gift of salvation and relationship, he gives you of his Holy Spirit, which works and produces his perfect love in you. That you might boldly go Refusing to keep this love to yourself, but pressing in to all that he has, not only for you, but for the whole world. So boldly go. Boldly go in perfect love. For his love is made perfect in us. Let's stand together as we invite the band to come and as we sing this closing song, may it be a prayer of our hearts and lives. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. If you don't know what consecrated means, it simply means set apart. May my life only be free. So let's stand. Let's sing